If you have not opened your Bibles, um, please do so to Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 46 through 55, as Steph read for us. We're, we're transitioning out of our series in 1 Corinthians for, for, for a while, and uh, during this season of Advent, uh, we are going to be looking at um, particular passages from the book of Luke. And, and what's fascinating about the Gospel of Luke is that we're ushered and we're really brought into the story of Christ through a series of songs. The late 19th century Bible expositor, Henry Burton, said that it's almost as if uh, Luke is, he, as he's constructed this great cathedral of the story of Christ, he welcomes you into this cathedral, and as you enter in, you hear singing. And so as you enter into this cathedral that is the story of the Gospel of Luke, on the left-hand side, you can hear Mary, and you can hear Elizabeth blessing and praising God. And then the other side, you hear Zechariah and Gideon, uh, excuse me, Simeon, singing and extolling God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness for his people. And then far above them, there are the angels singing glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor dwells. And so we enter into this story with singing because the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, deserves heart-filled, full-throttled worship. And in these songs, what we get is we get a glimpse into the meaning and the significance of Christ coming into the world. We get a glimpse of the glory and the greatness and the power of Christ's advent And so this is why we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at these songs of a Savior from the book of Luke, because we want these songs to be our song. We want the joy that they experience, the the gladness in God, the, the, the confidence that they have in God's faithfulness, we want that to be our joy and our gladness and our confidence. Their worship and their obedience, we want that to be our worship and our our obedience. And so we're going to spend some time reflecting, and this morning, we're going to start by looking at Mary's song, or as commonly called, Mary's Magnificat, which comes from the first line in the song where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God, my Savior. There's much joy in Mary's song, and this is important for us because we need joy. We need more joy than we typically walk around with. (laughs) And Christmas really is this season of joy, right? We're going to see this word over the next four weeks. We're going to see this word plastered on everything. And we're going to have it plastered in our homes, in our churches. We're going to see it in stores, in businesses. We're going to see it on Christmas cards, on ugly Christmas sweaters. And we're going to be singing endlessly joy to the world. That song is going to be on endless loop on the radio. Even though, by the way, that's not actually a Christmas song. That's about Jesus' second coming. But don't let that small detail and my hang-up keep you from singing that song. (laughs) Just letting you know, though. But there's a lot of talk of joy during this season. But, but, if I can just be honest for a moment, doesn't the word joy feel a little off? In some ways, in our society right now, our culture, our world, doesn't the word joy feel just a little bit distant? A little bit weird to say joy? I mean, in, in a world that's, that's, that's struggling with pandemic fatigue and cultural and political turmoil and upheaval, with death and sadness all over the place, and we're bombarded with messages of negativity, joy can feel at best a little bit distant and maybe at worst even a little offensive. But make no mistake, make no mistake, we chase it. 
We want it. We desire it. We go after it. And so often we think joy comes through strength and status and success and power. Boy, if I can get the things that I want to get, if I can control life the way I want to control it, if I can get the position and status and recognition that I want, if my political party is in power, boy, then I'll have joy. Strength, status, power, control. That's where we chase joy. That's where we think joy is found. But Mary's song points us to joy in some a completely different place. The joy she is singing of comes from a very different place than strength and status and power and control. It's a joy found in something very counterintuitive. Lowliness. Humility. Mary sings a song of joy, not through strength and power and control, but through humility and becoming lowly. The joy she sings and the Advent truth that we're going to reflect on this morning is this, that God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. The path of joy for you and me is not the path of strength and status and power, but a path of lowliness. That's the truth God's word is going to confront us with this morning. And so as we look at the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2, tell the story of the birth of both John the Baptist and Jesus. And the beginning of chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah the priest and he tells him, hey, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. And the son is going to be a prophet who goes before the Messiah. And then six months after visiting Zechariah, Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, Mary, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're going to carry the Lord himself. And after Mary receives this news, she rushes to go see Elizabeth, who is her cousin. And at the sight of seeing Mary, here's what Elizabeth does. She breaks out in song. Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And so Elizabeth speaks this song, sings this song of blessing over Mary. And in response to that song, Mary sings her song. And Mary begins her song by expressing joy at the truth that God brings salvation through the lowly. As she sings in verses 46 through 49, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. So Mary magnifies the Lord. Her soul rejoices, meaning at the depths of her being, the depths of her mind and her will and her emotions, the song of joy and magnifying the Lord breaks forth. And Mary praises God, celebrates God, rejoices in God because he's looked on her humble condition and shown her favor. Because if you were going to look for somebody who had strength and status and power and control, Mary is the last person in the world you would look for those things in. She, at the time, Mary was a young girl, probably in her late teens. And as a young girl, late teens, living in a backwater part of the country, part of a conquered and marginalized people, Mary had no status and strength to speak of. And also, she didn't live in a world where you could grow up and be anything and do anything you wanted. Humanly speaking, her, her life was laid out for her. She didn't have control over the direction of her life. 
And so no power and control there either. But Mary recognizes who she is. She recognizes her place and her status in society, and this is why she responds the way that she does. If you go a little bit earlier in chapter one, when the angel Gabriel visits Mary, this is what he says to her. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And this is how Luke notes her response. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Gabriel shows up with this great declaration of blessing, and Mary is troubled. She's confused. She's wondering, what is going on? Gabriel shows up and says, greetings, favored one. And Mary's like, you talking to me? Are, are, you, are you referring to me? Because favored seems like a really weird word to use for me. Fa- favored seems a little bit out of place if you're talking to me. That, that greeting seems a little bit strange. It would be like somebody showing up and saying to Pastor Paul, greetings, oh, one with full head of hair. <laughs> you can make fun of me in your sermon next week. <laughs> but that would seem out of place because Mary was the furthest thing from favored in society. She didn't have the strength and the status and the power that people that were favored had. And so she's, she wonders what kind of greeting this could be. But at the same time, this is why Mary has such joy. She has such joy because she sees that the, the God has favored her, a hum, one of humble condition. God has looked on her lowly estate and shown her grace and favor. God has used her as lowly as she is in his plan of redemption. And so Mary rejoices in God. She has joy in God. She magnifies God. And not because she's so awesome. She, she doesn't rejoice because she is something special. No, she rejoices in God because God has shown her favor. As lowly as she is, here is mercy and grace and favor. Mary rejoices in God because she knows this isn't something she's earned. This isn't something that she deserves, but rather this is God's kindness and favor on her. She rejoices in God because she knows God is bringing salvation through the lowly. God is bringing salvation through the humble. And, God, and friends, God has this crazy habit of doing this. Over and over and over again, we see God using the lowly and the humble to bring his purposes of salvation to completion. You think of the story of Joseph. Joseph was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. Then he was falsely accused, thrown into prison, and forgotten about. And then God takes this Hebrew slave convict lowest of the low in society, raises him up to the second in command in the mighty power, uh, empire of Egypt. And through him, countless lives are saved. You can think of Moses. Moses was 80 years old when God called him, hiding in shame for murder, tending to livestock on the side of a mountain, and yet God calls him. Moses probably thought God was done with him. My life's over. I'm just going to slowly die quietly on the side of this mountain watching livestock. But no, God calls him and uses him to become Israel's greatest deliverer and lawgiver. And then you think of David. For all his accomplishments as king and warrior and poet, David was an afterthought in his own family. <laughs> like the great prophet Samuel comes to Jesse and said, hey, I'm coming to your house and I'm going to anoint one of, your son king, one of your son's king. And so Jesse lines up his son and Samuel's like, nope, 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 nope. Got any more? Oh yeah, David, forgot about him. 
Where's David? Oh yeah, call David. I mean, no one even thought David was going to be king to even think to call him and put him in this lineup. And yet, God used him and he became Israel's greatest king. Over and over and over again, God uses the lowly to bring about his purpose and redemption, whether it's a prophet, whether it's a lawgiver, whether it's a king, or whether it's a young girl. And this lowly young girl would give birth to a lowly baby, born in a second-rate shelter, laid in an animal feeding trough. And this lowly baby would grow to be a lowly and humble man, raised in a backwater town, raised as a humble carpenter. But then this lowly man, who in truth was the son of God, the king eternal, the son of the almighty, he would enter into our sin and our brokenness and our sickness and our suffering and he would bring hope and he would bring healing and he would bring wholeness and he would bring forgiveness. And then this lowly and humble man would get so low, humble himself to such a degree that he willingly gave his life to be crucified on a cross, willingly laid down his life. And friends, on that lowly cross, that lowly man hanging there, beaten, bloodied, shamed, and ultimately killed, what's put on display? God's greatest display of salvation. God's greatest display of mercy. Through that lowly man hanging on a cross, beaten, bloodied, shamed, and killed, God defeated sin and evil and wickedness and oppression. God defeated all of our sin. And through that man hanging on a cross, forgiveness of sin, the power to be set free from sin, new life, hope that all things are going to be renewed and restored. God doesn't do this through military might. God doesn't do this through empire building. God doesn't do it through wealth and riches. He does it through the lowly, humble cross. Friends, God brings salvation through the lowly. And this is our joy. This is our joy. Mary recognized this was her joy. And God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. Mary's joyous praise looks beyond just herself and it looks to God's great salvation of his people. In verses 50 through 55, this is what she sings. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his army, has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And so God has shown great mercy. Mary is recognizing that generation after generation after generation, God has shown mercy to those who honor and those who humble themselves before him. He exercises his might and his strength for his people. And when God flexes, here's what happens. The proud are scattered and the mighty are toppled. See, Mary knew her Bible. Mary knew her history. She knew that over and over and over again, when people tried to grab for power and strength, when nations tried to grab for power, when they assembled their armies, they assembled their crowds, they assembled their coalitions, their crews, 
God brought them crashing down. When their thoughts dreamed up and their hearts desired self-glory and power and control, God brought them crashing down. You see, when these nations, when these people groups would come together with such confidence, when they assemble all their strength and say, look what we're going to accomplish, look what we're going to do, God would scatter them in fear. So I was almost involved in a fight in the ninth grade. Almost happened. So a buddy of mine kind of got into it with this other guy, and it sort of escalated throughout the day, and they were kind of talking trash to each other. And then there was this moment, maybe you've had these moments when you're in high school, if you're in high school, don't have these moments. But at the end of the day, sort of him and his crew, which I was a part of, and this guy and his crew kind of had this like stare down in the hallway right at the end of the day. And, and we were kind of, you know, you're bucking up like boys do, like we're going to be tough, we're going to throw down. And the moment a teacher shows up, we just scattered. Teacher shows up, we're done. This is over. So we acted tough. We talked it tough. We were ready to go, Maybe. But the moment a greater authority and power showed up, we ran scared. This is what God does. To to the proud, he sends them scattering like fearful little boys. To, to To the proud, he scatters for all their strength, for all their might, for all their talking tough. He scatters them. But he doesn't just do that. He also exalts the humble, exalts the lowly. You see, the the mighty. Those who reject God, those those who are after control on their own, those who would oppress and harm other people, man, God topples those people like you would topple a piece on a chessboard. But he exalts the humble and the lowly, those who humble themselves before God, those who recognize their need for him, those who honor him, those who come underneath his good rule and reign. He exalts them. He lifts them up. And Mary recognized this. Mary saw in the past God exalting the humble, lifting up the humble, rescuing and saving them, toppling the mighty, scattering the proud. And she said, hey, that's God being faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promise to Abraham to rescue and redeem a people. Mary knew her history. She knew her Bible and she saw God's mighty deeds, his mercy and his grace because she knew God was faithful. But... Mary was not just looking back. She's not just declaring what God did. She's declaring what God was going to do because she recognized that through this lowly, humble son that she was going to deliver, God was going to put on display his greatest acts of mercy and his greatest acts of power. Through Jesus Christ, God was being faithful to his promise to Abraham to rescue and redeem a people. And through Jesus Christ, God was showing his greatest act of mercy and his greatest act of power because through Jesus Christ, The proud are scattered, the mighty are toppled, but the humble and lowly are exalted. See, here's what Jesus did. See, the the proud religious leaders, those who wielded their religious authority with a legalistic fist, those who bound people in shame and guilt and sought sought power and control and status, uh, Jesus broke their religious monopoly. He exposed them for the hypocrites that they are, and he broke their power and control of other people. And you know what? Jesus is doing the same today. The rich, those who put their confidence in their riches and their wealth and their strength and the status and comfort that that gave them, Jesus exposed it as empty. Items that collect rust and dust and will fade away. No life, no power, no joy in them. But to the sinner, to the lowly, 
to the one who recognizes I'm spiritually a mess with no hope of forgiveness and freedom through my own efforts. The one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who wants to be made whole, who, who desperately wants God to rescue and redeem and renew and restore. To the one who will humble themselves before God, turning from chasing status and strength on their own and coming to God and recognizing, I have nothing to give. I can do nothing here. I need you. Here's what Jesus did. He welcomed them with grace and love. He, he welcomed them in and he lifted them up out of their sin and he honored them and he exalted them and he gave them new life in him. And then that empire that hung Jesus on a cross, that glorious empire that was going to reign forever, Where's the glory of Rome? I can tell you where you find it, in a history book. Hey, you can go, you can go and, and view some cool ruins. You can go to a museum and see the glory of Rome that once was. But where's the lowly Christ? Oh, he's the resurrected and reigning king, ruling above every authority and power. He is the king eternal. And do you know who else is enduring? His church his people, the lowly and humble ones who have turned from their sin and have turned to God though through no power and glory of our own, but we're going to endure. While Rome and every other empire in history will be thrown on the scrap heap, God's people, his church, through his power and glory will be exalted forever. This, friends, this, friends, is what Jesus has done and will do in this first city church. This friends in this room, those of you on live stream, this is our joy. This is where we find our joy. This is where we find the joy that is unbreakable, that is eternal, that is lasting. Is this where you find joy? Is this where you find joy? Do you look for joy in what is lowly and humble? Or do you look for joy through strength and power and status and control? Do you find joy where Mary found joy? Is your heart drawn to where Mary found joy and what is lowly? Or are you chasing joy somewhere else? Because here's the truth we have to come to grips with. Our hearts aren't naturally bent to find joy through what is lowly. Our culture doesn't tell us to find joy through what is lowly. Because over and over and over again, here's what we do. We chase joy in things like relationships and accomplishment and achievement and wealth and comfort and recognition and, and particular status and, and being able to control our lives and control our circumstances or, or getting cultural and political power. Boy, if I can just find the right spouse or if that spouse will, will love me in the right way, if I can just have enough kids, well, then I'll have joy. Boy, if I can accomplish those goals, if I can just meet those goals that I set for myself, I'll have joy. And if I can control life, I can control circumstances, I'll have joy. If, if I get that position, if I, if I can just get that status and recognition from people that I want, boy, then I'll have joy. If the political powers that be validate what I want, and follow along with what I want, boy, then I'll have joy. Friends, over and over and over again, we choose joy in things that are strong, in the status and the power and the control that we are after. And look, even if you're, 
even if you're cynical about joy, maybe you're in this place of like, I, I, I've given up on joy. Hey, you still chase it. You still want it. I, I guarantee there's a part of you that still wants satisfaction that is greater than the circumstances around you. And, and you want delight in life that is greater than the pain and hardship you experience. And, and even if you, if, if you numb your pain, Oh, like if, if, if you've come to this place where you're just numbing your pain, whether that's through entertainment or social media or drugs and alcohol or food or shopping or relationships, whatever it is, if you're numbing pain, that's still chasing after joy. You're still looking for something that is greater than the pain, greater than the hardship. How's that working for you? Like in your pursuit of joy, how is that working for you? Are you experiencing the satisfaction that is deeper and greater than your circumstances? Do you experience delight deep in your soul that doesn't remove pain and hardship, but it's greater than that, that sustains you through that? Is this what you're experiencing? Is this the joy that you're experiencing? Because friends, if you're chasing after joy through strength and status and power and control, look, at best, at best, the good things in life that you'll experience will only give you so much joy. Like, like it's only going to be to such a degree. And, and these things are good to be sure. There's wonderful gifts from God that we can find certain levels of joy in, but they're not ultimate joy. It's not unbreakable joy. It's not the kind of joy that will sustain you through pain and hardship and suffering and your circumstances. And so they'll always disappoint. So at best, you're disappointed. But at worst, at worst, all it is is sentimental good feels, which is no joy at all. Yeah, you, you might get some dopamine hits in your brain, but guess what happens? After a while, you become numb. You might get dopamine hits, you might experience some pleasure, but guess what? Your soul gets hollowed out. Your soul gets hollowed out, you become numb. And that's no joy at all. What's el what else? If you are chasing joy through status and strength and power and control, here's what you end up doing. You end up using people. You use people. You harm people. And sometimes even abuse them in your pursuit of joy. Oh, so much conflict. So much damage. So much angst. So much anxiety to ourselves and to others in our pursuit of joy. And on top of all of that, on top of all of that, if you pursue joy in this way, the mighty one opposes you. Like if you're pursuing joy through strength and status and power and control, you've set yourself in opposition against the mighty one who scatters the proud, topples the mighty, but exalts the lowly. Friends, chasing joy that way will never lead you to joy. It will never lead you to joy. Hear the joy in Mary's song. Hear the joy in this Advent season that God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. Because friends, when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves before God, that's when we experience his power and his grace and his mercy, and this is what brings joy in our lives. So, let's be clear on what lowliness and humility are. Let's be clear about what we're talking about when we're saying be lowly and humble, because what we're not talking about is navel-gazing, self-hatred, I'm the scum of the earth, woe is me, I'm terrible. 
That's self-pity. We're not talking about obsessing over your sin. Because friends, you know what that is? That's pride. It may not feel like pride, but it's pride. Because here's what you're saying, either explicitly or functionally. My sin is greater than God's power. I'm so terrible that God could never save me. Friends, that's pride. That's not lowliness. That's not humility. Lowliness is recognizing my absolute dependence and need for God, but then it's turning and believing his promises. Lowliness is saying, I am a mess spiritually, that I am sinful and I cannot save myself through my own efforts. I'm broken and I cannot fix myself. But with Mary, I turn and I look to God and say, the mighty one has done great things for me. Lowliness is humbling ourselves, but then believing God's promises. He can and he will save his power, his favor for you. Forgiveness for you. Freedom from sin and guilt and shame for you. His power drawing you near so you can experience the love and relationship of God the Father and Jesus Christ welcomed and cherished for you. Empowering you to walk in righteousness using you to be on mission and shine the light of the gospel in this dark world, filling your heart with hope that one day Christ is going to come back and renew and restore all things. That's God's power and his promise for you. And in those things, there's joy, unbreakable joy, eternal joy, joy that brings satisfaction despite the circumstances, joy that brings delight no matter the pain and the hardship. Friends, joy that deepens our dependence on God. Joy that overflows in worship and praise to God. Joy that doesn't set us at odds with one another, but rather sets us free to love and serve and sacrifice for one another. Friends, if your lowliness is not bringing joy, you ain't doing lowly. Lowliness, humility before the Lord, brings joy because we recognize God is faithful to save God has promised, and he will do it. Friends, lowliness takes hold of this promise that God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. So in conclusion, let's say this. If joy is not found in strength, in status, in power, and control, let's stop chasing joy by trying to get all we want, control all we can, get all the status and recognition and affirmation we can, seeking political and cultural power. Rather, let's seek joy and find joy where Mary did in the promise that God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. This Advent season, and really for the rest of our lives, let us chase joy through humility and lowliness because friends, God is faithful to save and God brings salvation through the lowly to the lowly. Let's pray.